When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Welcome back to the TLP Podcast. I'm Justin Short, your host for today. As most of you know, we run a little coaching company called The Lifestyle Practice, where we have two ways in which we help doctors kick butt. We have our online course, TLP Academy, with over 70 modules that run you through the nuts and bolts of how to maximize your own dental practice, and the other ways to work one-on-one with Derek, Steve, or I to take your practice in life to the next level. So if you're interested, reach out to us, even if you think you're not going to be ready for a month or two, because I believe the last time we checked, we had a wait list because we do limit the number of clients we take on at any one time so that we can ensure the best quality and adequate attention is given to each client. I'd say over half of our business is referrals from former clients. So we're very proud of that. And that is why we continue to grow every single year, even during a pandemic. So that's what we do. I'm proud of it. It's not something for us to hide, in my opinion. And that's why I decided to go at it right out of the gate, take up the first hour of this podcast telling you about it. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. Today, I have a special treat for you, a special guest with me. You guys didn't even know that, did you? Thought it was just me. I have the honor and privilege to visit with a friend and former client, Matt Vogt. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Of course, Justin. I'm glad we could make it happen, finally. Yeah. Matt and I worked together um, from 2019, 2020, and have stayed in touch. And he recently emailed me, giving me an update on his progress, which I always appreciate it. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to address some topics that I know a lot of you run into, but maybe they don't each take up a a whole episode. So we're going to get to run through several different scenarios that he's dealt with and just kind of talk about how he's navigated the waters and dealt with difficult decisions along his journey. Now, I'm going to start off by setting the stage for you of where things were at when we started working together in 2019. Matt started his practice from scratch in the spring of 2018, and we started working together about a year after that. And I also want to mention Matt is a really good golfer, like probably could have gone pro had he put all his focus there. So being able to still play a fair amount of golf and travel for tournaments was something that his practice had to be built around. And I love that. And I use those words intentionally because that's what we believe in, building your practice to revolve around the life that you ultimately want. In that first year, Matt collected 490,000, had three ops, was working three and a half days a week with an occasional Saturday. I think all in all, a successful first year in practice, we could say. But Let's kind of go through the specifics now, Matt. Um, yeah. And I'll I'll ask you each of these individual questions so they don't run together, and we'll just kind of rapid fire through them. So, number one, how many ops did you start with, and how many ops do you have now? 
So we started with, um, well, I guess I, I graduated in May of 2017 and I, I signed the lease on my practice space actually the day after I graduated. So it was a, you know, throughout, throughout school, dental school, I was, you know, planning this and we can go into more detail as we, as we go through our, our conversation. But, um, so I was planning to start up all through dental school, signed the lease, and then finally got going, um, you know, about, about a year later after graduation, uh, but started off with, with three ops to start, uh, very lean, but I, I rented a space and, and built out the space with room for eight. So, um, we equipped a fourth within the first year, equipped a fifth, I think the second year. And now, um, in the next few months, actually in January, um, we should be equipping the final three to have a total of eight ops and, um, about 2,600 square feet. That's awesome. What did you do that first year for when you graduated, signed your lease till you opened your doors? Oh man, that's a story. So I, I always joke that I feel like my my practice is the startup that Dental Town built. Like I, it, there's just there was so much good information, and there still is on on Dental Town. But yep. there was so much good information. You know, I remember seeing you on there, right? Yep, a little bit, well, quite a bit. It's um, been a few years. Yeah, I know. Same same here. But um, so. In that first year, I, I had been working with a, basically a friend and an advisor who was going to help me through the process and was really big on startups. And then about a few months after graduation, um, he kind of went off the deep end. <laughs> um, I think I remember telling you that story. Yep. Yeah. So I was kind of hanging out to dry, uh, hung out to dry there um, and just had to figure it out myself. So, but in that year, you know, just designing the space you know, getting all those parts and pieces in motion, you know, um, construction takes a couple months, then you got to find staff, get everything set up. I mean, it's just, it's a process. So it, it, it took quite a while. I think 12 months is kind of a long time. Um, I probably should have had it done closer to half that time, but it was a tumultuous couple of months there right out of school. Right. Yeah. I think looking back, that could even, you know, fact that that relationship kind of dissolved may uh, be a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next question. Kind of tell me the practice makeup, fee for service, PPO, Medicaid. What are you? Yeah. Um, So we're, um, you know, bread and butter practice, mostly PPO. I'd I'd estimate about probably 85% um, with maybe a 15% mix of fee for service. No Medicaid, but I think it right at the start, um, if I had to go back, it might have been a great way to kind of get the practice off the ground and be busier from day one. But I just know it's tough to it's kind of tough to turn that faucet on and then turn it off later without, you know, a lot of headaches. So Right. What is your location like? How did you choose the location that you're at? So um location wise, we're we're the main tenant in like a, a small four tenant shopping center, super visible signs on a main thoroughfare in uh, an area called McCordsville, Indiana which is a growing growing suburb right on the outer edge of Indianapolis. It might as well still be Indianapolis. But as far as finding the location, um, you know, I went to dental school here in Indy, um, went to undergrad here. Um, so I've been here for quite a while. And as far as finding the location, I, I um, kind of looked for, you know, what I knew would be growing areas in, in the city. McCordsville, I think when I started the practice was, like the second fastest growing zip code in the state or something like that. So one to find an area of growth, um, 
definitely didn't want to find a saturated area and basically just did the demographics research myself. So looked at, there's plenty of tools out there online, looked at the dentists that were around, um, looked when they were open, looked at how many people were within, you know, our one mile, three mile, five mile radiuses and, um, and decided on McCordsville. So, um, there was a lot of driving around during dental school, (laughs) um, to try to find the right spot. And, um, you know, found the building and the rest is history, I guess. But I'm definitely a believer. I'm definitely a believer in visibility, um, especially for a startup, um, because we get a ton of people who just drive by and the more times the eyeballs land on our sign, the better chance we have of bringing them into our great practice. Yep, absolutely. And you're right. I think I agree. Visibility is always important. I don't think when you're purchasing an established practice, I don't think it's necessity, but it always helps, no doubt. But I think it's even more paramount in a startup. Otherwise, you are spending much more usually for advertising and uh, patient acquisition. So it's nice just to get some through osmosis for, for just being there. How many team members did you start with? Where are you at now? Oh boy, uh, man, I messed, you talk about learning a lot of things trial by fire, right? Um, I messed this up so badly. Um, I, at the start at least, I had, when I started, I was open uh, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday from like seven to seven and then Friday, uh, seven to four, uh, which is crazy. Um, and I think I was still doing a little bit of that when we started working together, right? A little bit. Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm getting anxiety just thinking about it. But, uh, so I started off, I had uh, one front desk team member and one assistant, both of whom were, you know, working in dental. So I think they had some other positions and they were working part-time in my practice. I didn't even have them, you know, like my front desk team member working the days that our office was closed to answer the phones. Like I would get the phones forward to my cell phone. It was, <laughs> it was not good, but we got through that. Lots of trial and error. Now we're at, uh, we have two front desk employees. We have three assistants or expanded functions assistants, and then two full-time hygienists and a, and a part-time hygienist. So call it two and a half hygienists. Yeah. Awesome. Love to see how that has grown and it's tough. I mean, I think team getting your team right is the most important, but it's can also be the most challenging. It's it's absolutely the most challenging thing. I mean, if if someone if you're listening to this and you're you know and you're an associate and you're looking at buying or starting a practice, I mean, it's it will definitely be the the toughest thing. But now that we've got a great team that I just love working with, it's also very very rewarding, right? Right. You provide a very, you know, a, a great place to work and, a, and you provide jobs for close to 10 people as we grow here. I mean, that's, it's, it's rewarding, it very, it, but it's very tough. Yep. Yeah. There are a few things I say when talking to clients, you know, we'll talk about decisions and choices I have. And I'll also often let them know, like, hey, I don't think this is a make or break. You could do either one. There's pros and cons to each. I think getting your team right in order to, you know, you, without the right team, you're just going to have a much lower ceiling. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to constantly have to do a lot more of the heavy lifting, which is going to slow down progress in every area. Yeah. So 
team is a make or break. And that's not to totally go off on a tangent, but that's one of the things that, you know, in, in starting to work with you, I started to learn that you can't just be cheap. You can't just, you know, cut the bottom line as much as possible. You have to enable yourself to grow. Right. Yep. Um, and that's what I did too much of at the start for sure. sure. And I think now you even have the added layer of increased wages, supply and demand. I mean, I I literally two clients last night, same email, which is not uncommon. It's uncommon maybe to have two back to back, Mm -hmm. but I hear it at least every other day. I found this person. They seem really good. I want to pay them 20. They say they want 23. I've always paid 20 in the past. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now my answer is if you can find someone good for, only a few bucks more than what you've paid historically, you need to grab them. Cause if you don't, someone else will. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a different landscape. We've got to change. We've got to grow, got to raise your own freeze fees along with it, but you still got to get that team right. I'd rather have an eight, nine or 10 for 23 than a four, five or six for 17. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So what, what's your procedure mix like? So, Bread and butter dentistry, I'd say the one thing that we, I, I probably do more of that uh, are, are implants. That's not bread and butter. Um, and we do maybe a, a full mouth extraction and implant overdenture case per month, maybe now. But as far as everything else goes, just, you know, bread and butter dentistry. Um, I don't take out a whole lot of wisdom teeth. I don't do a whole lot of like upper molar uh, root canals, but uh Besides that, it's just it's it's bread and butter. Um, we see a great mix of patients because we're close to the city, but we're also on the outskirts. So we'll get you know city folk, we'll get country folk, uh, you know, um, but nothing too crazy. I had mentioned earlier where you ended up after the first year, uh, four hundred ninety collections. Where did you end up twenty twenty one? If you don't mind sharing, and just what's an average month for you right now so yeah we ended we ended 2021 producing about 1.4 for the year and collections awesome. yeah collections are at 102 percent so we've we've still been trending upward since the beginning of 2021 and had our uh, our busiest month ever in november which was 146 uh, thousand in production awesome congratulations thanks man now let's let's kind of unpack those answers and see how we got from where you started to where you are now. And I know talking with you that in this last fall, you noticed you were starting to kind of hit a wall with capacity, especially in hygiene. What were you seeing and how did you handle it? What have you done? Yeah, so, you know, that's the we obviously condensed, you know, after we started working together, we kind of condensed down to three or three and a half days a week, right? Um, and I started to notice that with two hygienists and wanting to have, you know, a certain amount of new patients, um, we were booking out hygiene quite a bit, quite a bit being maybe three to four weeks, but enough to feel that pressure, right? And so basically what I did is I I, I kind of said, okay, let's let's plan this out in advance. So historically with the marketing that we're doing, you know, we tend to see like 40 to 60 new patients a month. So working backwards, you know, I looked out into November, I said, okay, working backwards, I want to have 60 new patients. Uh, I looked at how many slots we had in hygiene for those new patients for the upcoming month. I factored in, you know, how many slots we'll need for 
scaling and root planning that we diagnose, right? And then I said, okay, we need to add this amount of slots for new patients. I found a part-time hygienist to add to fill those, you know, that time requirement basically. And next thing you know, we sent we set a record basically for monthly new patients at 60 and production reflected that too. And people were happy because they could get in and we, my front desk was happy because they could schedule people. Uh, it worked out literally for everybody, patients, team, us. That's good. Before going on to the next question, I, wanna, I just want to even unpack that answer a little bit more yeah. and just yeah. point out to everyone the working backwards. It's not like you know, you said I wanted 60 new patients. Now, doesn't mean we'll necessarily get there the month one, but we know that's what we're going for as opposed to I'm just going to do some advertising and whatever I get, so be it. Right. And I get, and we do that with a lot of things in our practice, um, you know, with, with you and with other clients and myself when I had my own practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it would start off, I'd start off the year with saying, this is what I'm going to produce. These are the number of days I'm going to work. And from there, I have to figure it out. And I know it's in one aspect, yes, it's a lot goes into that. It's not like, oh, I'm going to produce 50 million and I'm going to work four days and (laughs) all of a sudden it's done. But in some respects, you know, as long as you are, you're not way out in left field, in some ways it made it easier because it's kind of almost if you build it, they will come. You know, once you hit a, a certain level, um, in regards to mindset, it's not like just go start from scratch and build 20 ops and then all of a sudden you're going to be filled next month. No, but you've had a little history with your practice. You knew what is possible, just like mm-hmm. me when I would set my production goals for the year. And yes, maybe it was a stretch, but often we hit what we set the goal to. Right. Um, one way or another, call it whatever you want. But if you're focused on that, you're often going to hit it. And it's, you know, we do our best to work backwards, set those metrics, and then work to get there. Again, doesn't always happen month one, month two, month three. But I'd say definitely more often than not, we get there. I mean, we, you know, what's the first thing we did? And, and it's carried over into my personal life now, too. And I just did it yesterday. We set goals, right? Yeah. Uh, personal, professional this year, five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And if you have a framework for what you're shooting for, then things become a lot more clear, right? Right. Versus just saying, I'm going to grow my practice as much as I can. What does that even mean? Mm -hmm. I want to make more money. Exactly. Well, if you want to make more money then, and that's your true goal and it's not defined properly, well then in theory, you should be working 24 hours a day to try to do that, right? Right. If your goal, like we said at the outset, if your goal is to work three days a week, you know, do this much dentistry and have more time for family and hobbies, well, then that's more clear and more defined, right? Yeah. And so that's like, you know, it's, it's we set, you know, aggressive, but real realistic, but aggressive goals, you know, that you want to be a little uncomfortable and trying to hit them. Yeah. And I think that was one of the best things. Oh, so, so important. And, you know, I think it's often the question after the question, I want to make more money. Well, how much? I want to retire when I'm 40 or 50. Okay. Well, in theory, you could retire tomorrow. Sure. But what does your life look like when you say you hit that number? So 
the question after the question, um, working backwards, all good take-homes. But going back to your situation, how did you decide that you wanted 60 new patients? And then how did you manage to get 60 new patients? Because there's a lot of people, I'm sure, thinking, well, you know, I'd like to have 1,000 new patients a month, but how do I get there? So what marketing were you specifically doing? And what have you seen that's worked best for you where you're at? Mm-hmm. So that's a great question. So we, we, we do a little bit of everything. We send out mailers. We do Facebook advertisement. We have a great website that's um, you know optimized for SEO. We do AdWords. I think one of the biggest things that we do is we just we have great five star reviews on Google, and we have patients who like us and tell their families about us. Right? right. Now that's a snowball that takes a long long time to build momentum rolling down the mountain. Right. But but if you're getting great internal referrals. Um, and seeing families and friends of friends, um, that's one of the best best ways to get new patients and one of the best ways that we've found. So how I decided on 60, I mean, there wasn't really a, a specific thing. And we just look at marketing spend. It, it's a combination of things. Like we look, we look at marketing spend and how much we're spending in total. Um, we just look at the capacity that we can take on. And now I've learned, I've learned over time with the practice, you know, I think at the, at the outset was probably a little too conservative in spending money on marketing, getting those new patients, right? So it's just a matter of, you know, deciding, okay, here's what we can handle and what we can tolerate and, and shooting for it. But if you've got, if you're spending the money and you're not in a ridiculously saturated area, I don't think it's outlandish to, to have a number like that. No, no, it's not. I think it's, you know, just like you said, you had to evaluate a lot of different aspects, uh, capacity, your team, you know, your team, if you're wanting 60 new patients a month, your team needs to know that's the goal. Because often what I see a lot is front desks, you know, in our mind, the doctors can be thinking, I want all the new patients I can, we can get, I want 30 patients, I want 40 patients, I want 50 patients. But the front desk has this internal governor of, they feel good when they've booked maybe 20 patients, new patients a month. They're like, ah, just subconsciously, they're like, I got enough new patients on for this month. We're good. And then somehow, again, I often think it's subconsciously, it starts to tail off once they've hit whatever their internal threshold is. And if that's not aligned, if they don't know, hey, we're going for 60 and their internal threshold is 30, we've got problems. How do you? How do you set that goal with your clients nowadays, Justin? Is it is it practice specific, right? I mean, a, a practice, a brand new practice in downtown LA versus a practice in a suburb of Indianapolis, those are going to look like different numbers, right? Hundred percent. I mean, it's it has to be customized. You have to look because it'd be stupid um, for me to go in and say, okay. You're a new client. You have to get this many new patients because sure. that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like you did for your own practice, I do it for every practice. Um, looking at where we're at, um, what's the budget, mm-hmm. um, what's your capacity, things like that, and then we determine a number and we figure out the recipe to get there. And it usually takes trial and error. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very rarely is it. You know, we do a few mailers, we do a few pay-per-clicks and boom, we're there. No, it's this worked well with this 
uh, mailer. So let's take this aspect from that mailer, do another mailer and change it up a little bit. Um, so a little kind of, a lot of split testing. But eventually, if we have a goal and if, if it makes sense with everything, even if it's a little bit of a push, we can get there. But nothing, you know, uh, you have to, I think a good coach, um, whether it's us or anybody else, you've got to be customized. You know, I have clients that want to do 180 a month. So I also have clients that are, it fits their life and where they're at to do 100. Now, if I went in everybody and said, hey, our goal has to be to get the numbers up as high as we, we possibly can. And if you hit 120, no matter what, our automatic next step we have to shoot for is 140. That's stupid. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Um, So just like you got to customize it, got to know what you're dealing with, um, know the markets and every market is different, but usually we can figure it out to get enough patients to hit our goals. I mean, I don't think there's really been one case where I felt like we have it. Some have taken longer to get there. Well, a big part of it is capacity too, right? I mean, when we started working together, you know, I was seeing a lot of new patients through my operative chairs, right? And I didn't even have a full-time hygienist. I was just kind of piecing it together. And I think one of the first things you said was, dude, <laughs> please hire a hygienist. Right. And by doing that, you know, you look, you hire a full-time hygienist and you feel like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if I'm ready or ready for that second hygienist. Look at all that empty chair time. Well, you've got to then get ready to fill that chair with new patients, Right. And like you said, if you build it, they'll come. But the biggest mistake I made is is stunt and stunted my growth for sure was not having that capacity. Right. Yeah. Again, it's another thing, and I think that's where I like to think that we add value because it's you also it's an art. It's a fine line. You know, there is a time to Absolutely. add capacity. Um, and had you started out with eight ops. It probably would have been stupid. If you were still at three ops today, it would be stupid. So evaluating all that um, in your situation, I know that going from two hygienists to three hygienists can be a tricky situation. Mm -hmm. Things that you can get away with, with only having to check two, you can't get away with when you have three. The margin of error or fluff is greatly reduced. So how are you managing this? You know, going from two to two and a half and eventually to three, how are you managing this or how have you managed it? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And, you know, being a pretty young dentist, you know, I've never worked with three hygienists before. So just clinically too, right. I mean, it's, it's a learning process, but you know, when you've got one hygienist or two hygienists or, you know, you're, and you're not as busy as you will be in the future, you can get away with a lot of things, right? You can talk more, you can take more time to diagnose, et cetera, et cetera. But when you have three hygienists, multiple team members, more things to do, your systems get tested really fast, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of just have to work on your systems and your co-diagnosis with especially the hygiene team, um, but really the entire team to make sure that you have a process that you're going through with hygiene patients, new patients, and your entire team. Because if you don't, it just it breaks down, right? I have an awesome team, um, and we have we have monthly meetings to address like these kind of kind of pressure points. 
And, but my current project, you know, as we're, as we're continuing to grow is, is making a systems manual that is addressing how we're doing basically everything in the office. Um, you know, it's, it's long, but it's very detailed. Um, but my goal is to eventually give, um, give that systems manual to a new hire or a new teammate and say, here you go, here's how we do what we do. Um, but really it's, it's, with hygienists and, and I have two great ones and our, and our part-time hygienist is great too. I mean, we work closely hand in hand to co-diagnose, right. And to support each other clinically. Um, I joke with them, you know, if, if I have to, if I come into the room and I'm answering questions that they could have answered to, to patients about their potential needed treatment, like, you know, something went wrong. Right. So, uh, but I think that's, that's the biggest thing is empowering, empowering everyone in the office to support each other, to back each other up. Um, we can all look at a broken tooth and know that it's probably going to need a crown. Right. Um, so to be able to get that ball rolling before I even step in the room, it becomes so much more important as we go from, you know, as you, as you increase your, your number of hygienists in the office. Yep. How did you get, you know, kind of an aside building off your answer there? How do how did you get your hygienist to that point? Because I know that's something we're we're big on. We believe yeah. in. Um, yeah. If you're having it, I often use the lifting a boulder up the hill. I want to go in the room and I want the patient accepting treatment being like the boulder at the top of the hill. I just got to go in and go doink, and mm-hmm. it rolls down the hill. I don't want to have to walk in that room and be like, all right, here I go. Starting pushing this boulder. Hey, look at this picture. Pass me the camera. Do yeah. you know you have a crack on this tooth? blah, blah, blah. I want all that done. Um, and that's how I become more efficient over time is because my time in there is less. My time in my app or doing other things that need to be done is more. What did you do? How did you raise the capacity of your hygiene team to performance of your hygiene team to get there? Just some key, just nuts, nuts and bolts, black and white. Mm-hmm. These are some things that we did that have helped. I think there's a couple keys. I think one key is just complete honesty with your team and your hygienist, right? My hygienist, Justine, she's been with me almost since the start. She was the first one we hired. You know, Justine gets it. Hey, Justine, it, it the things we could do when you were the only one here, we can't do anymore, right? Yeah. Like, I, I need your help because I've got a lot, you know, I'm busy. I know you're busy. You've got a full column of patients. So I need your help. And having that honest discussion is, I think, paramount. Um, and just letting them know why why we need to do this as a team together. And I think another key is to empower them, empower hygienists and you know everyone in the office to be clinicians and healthcare providers, right? You know, we all know that officially, right? They're not going to diagnose things. They need our us to to give that stamp of approval. But hygienists, they're not just teeth cleaners. <laughs> right. Um, they're not, they've got great experience and, and, and talking with patients and seeing the things in their mouths. So empowering the team to be more than just teeth cleaners <laughs> and empowering them to talk about things around what patients may need, you know, for their oral health versus, you know, just chatting for 45 minutes with the patients, which is important too. Um, I think that's, it's, it's super, super important. So being honest with them about 
you know, if your hygienists aren't doing it currently, like being very honest about, Hey, here's, here's why we should be doing this and letting them know, Hey, I want to empower you to be a clinician. I want to empower you to really improve the lives of these patients by helping them get the treatment they need. Right. Yeah. I think being honest with them and being honest with yourself, I've had a conversation this week, which I've had several times, um, same conversation, different doctors were, you know, they will talk with their hygienists. Just, you know, we're starting out. We understand that raising the performance of our hygienists and with co-diagnosis and other areas has to happen in order to go to the next level. Um, they have that discussion with them and the hygienist is like, you know what? I, I just don't like to do that. That's, that's not my job. That's a doctor's job. Um, and, and then the doctor's coming back to me like, how do I deal with that? Um, well, it's, it's very easy. You be honest and you let them know that either we have to change that mindset that you have. I'm not asking you to, to make the diagnosis, but I do expect you to inform the patient of what's going on. I will be the one who comes in there and says, yes, you do need a crown on number three because of what Justine told you and what she pointed out on these pictures in front of you. But I'll make the final call, but you have to be willing to do that. So I think getting to that point where, and for me at that point, I get it's, it's tough to have to let somebody go and find someone new. None of us like to do that. But on the other side, if I have a hygienist that is honest enough to say that for me, that makes it very easy because I can say, well, black and white, I need you to do it because having a hygienist who is not willing to do that isn't a possibility. You know, there's not one, you go around top, talk to top performer, um, very successful dentist. You're not going to hear anybody be like, yeah, I've got Sally over here. She's not into co-diagnosis. So we just kind of deal with that. No, no, it does not happen. Yeah. One plus one doesn't equal two. So honesty, I think honesty is a very key. And some, I think my feeling in life and in coaching is that honesty shows the most love beating around the bush with somebody so that you're secretly angry with them or passive aggressive or anything else doesn't help anybody. You know, if I really love you and care for you, then I'm going to help you be successful at my office so I can work with you for the next 20 years. Absolutely. And it doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen day one either, right? You don't have a hygienist come into your office, you know, let's say you hire a new hygienist. They don't come to the office and say, oh yeah, you've got this edentulous space number 30, Dr. Vote places it and plants in that spot all the time. And, you know, they're very, they're 99% successful and you'll have a tooth that you, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen like that, but it's just a gradual process. And that's where you've just got to, a lot of our new hires, you know, just say, hey, we're going to have a lot of clinical conversations and we're going to make a lot of quick corrections, quick discussions. And that's how we're going to get on the same page. Yep. And I think setting the stage, you know, again, something little, but I want everybody to pick up on setting the stage. For me, it's a lot easier to have those quick corrections. Hey, come here real sec. You know how you just said this to this patient? I think it'd work better if we did it this way. All right, great. Break. You know, when they know that's coming, when they, you've already kind of set the stage and let them know, hey, we're going to be doing this. So just 
be ready for it. Don't let it freak you out or anything else. It makes it easier for you to do that. If you've never done that, if you've never had that quick conversation, you're like, oh my gosh, if I tell her that, she's going to freak out. She's going to think I hate her. She's going to think she's going to get fired. Mm-hmm. You know, cut out the bull crap. Yeah. Um, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Let them know what's coming. And you're doing that because you want them to be there long term. Right. You know, if you thought they were going to be out of there next month, you wanted them out of there next month. Why would you spend your time helping to improve them? So, exactly. and I and I and outlining that expectation as early on as possible and as clear as possible, which comes, you know, kind of comes back to wanting to have some sort of systems manual or, or something that you're building on over time. I think is important because it's just got to be clearly defined. If it's not, if the expectations aren't clearly defined, then it's it becomes more difficult to right. No, I agree. And I think in the long term, that's great to have one thing I want to just on a side note before we move on. I think the system manual is great. That being said, I didn't have one for probably first 10 years of my practice. And I don't think it's something because I hear a lot of docs. I'm getting ready by this practice. I'm getting ready to start this practice. Oh my gosh, I don't have a system manual. I don't have, you know what? I would say today, if you went door to door in dental offices, I would bet 60% of dental office don't have one or if they do, they don't know where it's at. So <laughs> important. Yes. But don't let it, don't get to the feeling of, Oh my gosh, I can't grow. I can't improve. I can't do this. I can't do that because I don't have it yet. Um, sometimes you've got to get in there and learn what are your systems period. Exactly. You know, because you don't that, know what they are. Right. <laughs> you've got, and you don't know what's working, what's not. Exactly. Um, and there are principles that apply across the board, but that's why we don't create a systems manual like some do and just say, here you go, follow this. Because oh, yeah. that may get you to a point, but if the same systems across every practice, again, principles may be the same on a lot of things, but the exact same system, which got one practice to be a 10, will only get the other practice to be a seven. And that's why I feel you've got to kind of, learn and tweak and mm-hmm. optimize before you can really go ball steep into the systems manual. I, exactly. And you've got to define, I, I think a good way to do it is, you know, do you define your practice's mission and your goals, right? And, and your values that helps guide your decisions as a team. And then, you know, really as you grow, you've just got to reinvent yourself, right? Okay. This is, this is not working. We've got to work on this system for this process in the office where things are breaking down, you know, but yeah, I mean, you can't start off day one and say, here's how we do everything. I mean, that'd be great, but it's, it's going to have to be tweaked constantly. Right. I mean, it's always, it's a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. Yep. Most things are, what would you say have been some of the key factors in terms of procedures that have led to your growth? I think, I think implants have been one of the, one of the biggest things. Um, they're, they're, you know, profitable as a procedure goes, but they're also very rewarding. Um, just, you know, for your fulfillment as a, as a dentist, I think, I know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you never really got into the implants if I remember correctly, right? Didn't you place two? I usually, I average about two a month. Two a month. Okay. Okay. So more than I remember you telling me, but, um, I, I'm not compensating by, I'm not compensated by implant pathway by saying this, but going to implant pathway in Arizona, it's one of the best things I've ever done. So I think that's, I think that's been important. And I think just being, 
just being open to doing as much dentistry as you feel comfortable with, you know, receiving, getting training CE for the things that you don't know how to do comfortably, doing quadrant dentistry, you know, doing half mouth or a quarter of the mouth at the same time, same visit for patients, doing that with sedation, you know, conscious sedation. I think all of those things, it's all in combination. There's not one magic bullet. Um, I think for most practices, there's not that magic bullet. It's just being a comprehensive dentist um, and diagnosing comprehensively too. Um, Not being afraid to tell patients what you can do to help them or what you think they need um, and not being afraid to to scare them by by telling them those things Um, because that's our job, right? Our job is to help people. Yeah. Now, as you know, we're big on comprehensive diagnosis, even if you can't do everything in office. Um, it's nice if you can, but you still have to diagnose comprehensively. I feel like, and you know, that's our duty for the patient. That's why they come to us. There's uh, a, there's a line. I forget where I heard it. It was probably at some C event, but I say it all the time and my team does too. And it's no matter what your timeline or your budget is, we're here to get you healthy. Um, and it's true because when you say that to somebody, they understand, okay, yeah, doc wants me to get these things taken care of ideally as soon as I can, but they understand that not every person is the same and no two situations are the same. Yep. hundred percent. That's good. Yeah. You can steal that line if you want. You're not practicing anymore. So I'm pretty sure I wrote that line, but I was going to bring it up. Um, I know I've heard docs before who've wanted to go to three days a week, but felt like it was difficult when you do a fair amount of implants or surgeries, because you also have to work in the bread and butter dentistry as well. Has that been an issue for you at all? And if so, what have you done to accommodate the procedure mix that you have? Yeah. I mean, right off, you know, initially, if you're starting like an implant journey or a surgery, you know area of your practice it wasn't a huge issue but now as we've grown and like i said we're doing maybe like a uh, full mouth surgery or multiple implant surgery a couple times a month um, it gets tricky to fit that into the schedule and then also be checking three hygienists like we talked about Mm -hmm. Um, so um you know truthfully i'm just trying to figure it out on the fly right now you know we we do work three and a half days every other week so a lot of the time that half day becomes a good surgery day Sometimes if we block out a surgery, you know, a month in advance, try to make sure our hygienists can schedule, you know, scaling and root planings or periodontal maintenances, things that I don't need to check or come visit for. But honestly, that's one of the reasons that we're, you know, we've been looking for and and are likely going to have an associate starting in the summer is to take that pressure off. So I think there's a bunch of different ways to do it, right? But how do you, you know, I guess I'll ask a question to you. How, how have you dealt with that with some of your clients? In regards to the going to three days a week and working in, is that what yeah. you're asking? Yeah. Um, again, it's on a case-by-case basis, but it, I really think it's not a cop-out, but I really think it's the answer is you've got to work backwards. You know, you can't let the procedures dictate what schedule you work, in my mind. You know, first we have to decide, okay, you're going to work three days, you're going to work three and a half, you're going to work four, you're going to work six. I don't care. But once we have that, then we have to break it down and say, okay, 
we know we're going to work three and a half. We know on average we have this many procedures, this many surgeries a week or a day or a month. Where does it make the most sense? Where do you like to work them in? I don't care where I work them in. Great. Well, then we know as long as we have this amount of time, whether it's, you know, three hours, five hours, eight hours, that we're okay. Some will say like you, you know what? It really makes the most sense for me on my half day because the other days I'm getting in a groove of bread and butter. Then, okay, then let's figure out what we need to do to get that. How do we make that transition? How do we open up the schedule? How do we get our scheduler to start directing those patients that day, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think it's case by case. You've got to work backwards. You've got to first figure out, don't let the tail wag the dog. So like most things in life. And I think a lot of times the tail does wag the dog and we get whatever's left over. Absolutely. Let's switch directions just a little bit. You have a bonus system for your team, correct? Correct. Yeah. Can you tell us what it is and has it evolved as you've grown? What's kind of an, an average bonus for your team? Yeah. So we use, you know, we've, we've implemented the bonus system that you recommend. I, I think I was actually doing it before we started working together. Um, I think you probably posted about it on dental town. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so with our bonus system, um, we take a look at, you know, what our, what our payroll is and what our team should reasonably be doing if we're working productively and effectively. And then we set a minimum goal for, for bonus for the month. And then, um, if the team exceeds that, if we exceed that, our average of production and collections is above that, then um, the team splits 20% of um, that overage. So basically it's a way of, and we've done this for years now and the team gets it, like it's a way of rewarding our team for working hard, right? If we're going to fit in a crown over lunch for a broken tooth, if we're going to start an Invisalign case, like that takes more work from the team. and so they should be rewarded for that. I feel very passionately about that. So um, it's great. It's a great way to incentivize your team and reward them for hard work. And like in our practice, I mean, for 2021, every team member is going to make close to seven or $8,000 in bonuses for the year once all said and done. Um, and it's split evenly at the end of the month based on the hours that you work. So uh, it's, it's great. That's yeah. all I can say about it. I think it's, it's a great way to reward team members and it's a great way to retain retain them too um because they know that they've got this opportunity monthly right yeah and i agree and that's kind of our once you get good people you want to hold on to them and you want to spoil them i mean it's not all about us of just oh i've got you now i want to keep you it's you know what right you help me be successful i want to help enrich your life i want to bless you i want you to make more money and be financially rewarded because honestly you've earned it. You deserve it. I think it's one of the things too, that it does is it gets a little bit of a business owner mindset to, to your team. Right. Um, you know, like you said, if you find great people, you want to spoil them. You want them to be with you for a long, long time, which I, I can confidently say that about the team I have now. Um, but at the same time, you know, we all have to understand that the world works and that, you know, if you do something good, you're going to get rewarded for it. So just to continually increase um, 
pay, you know, unreasonably, right? I mean, we're, we're talking regular raises and performance-based raises are, are pretty common, but just increasing pay with no regard for how well the practice is doing or the things that you're doing in your job, you know, that, that can breed complacency, right? So it's, it's great because everybody feels the, feels the rush of having a great month, a busy month, or, um, you know, getting, you know, multiple surgeries scheduled, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's important because it really, it's a teamwork thing too. I mean, everyone's got a hand in it, so everyone gets rewarded too. Yeah. It's gotta be a meritocracy. Um, there's, uh, that's just the right way to run a business, uh, you know, to run a business where regardless of performance, regardless of improvement, just because we turned it 12 months on a calendar means you automatically get more money in my mind is stupid. Uh Um, that's no way to run a business. Now, I also believe you've got to foster that environment where you've got to help that be able to help that team grow. If you haven't trained them at all, if you haven't helped, um, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. If you're not lifting the ships that are riding your tide, (laughs) then there's another issue there. But, you know, just because we're a year older, you think you deserve more money. To me, that philosophy, even though it's fairly endemic, I think that it's stupid for for lack of a better more I think, theological yeah, word. I mean, you've got to look at I I agree. I mean, you've got to look at right, you've got to look at inflation, you've got to look at cost of living. Like that that's that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. But just because you existed for a year did what you were supposed to do. I think there's, you know, you got to look at performance, right? Right. And that's important. Sure. As you've grown, how have you decided when it was time to add an additional team member? Any key metrics or key things that you look for? How'd you decide? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's the nice thing about the bonus system is it's based on, it's based on the, the team that you have in place and the payroll, right? Um, so if payroll is going up and the team amount of team members are going up, um, then the the minimum to, to make that bonus has to go up too. Um, so I think this is just a spot where you've got to be, or I've learned you've got to be in touch with your team members and, and your business. And that's where just having open lines of communication with your team, hey, you know, checking in quarterly, monthly, just making sure you're always talking to people to see how things are going is important. And then feeling out, you know, okay, is my team too busy? Where are things breaking down? Um, what, what can we do better? Um, I think that's the best way to evaluate. I mean, there's definitely metrics, right. For everything and how to add team members. Um, but like we've said how many times now you kind of have to work backwards too. You have to evaluate, okay, what do I want to do? What's my goal? And how am I going to get there? Like one thing I definitely got wrong. And, you know, when we were working together was waiting too long to hire a second front desk team member. Because in my practice, you know, we like to have all the team members able to talk about treatment and present treatment plans. But we do like to have, you know, one main person, the treatment coordinator who, who handles a lot of those conversations. So to expect a front desk team member to do that and then handle all of the other things that happened at the front desk was way too much. And I, and looking back on it, you know, we, we lost a team member because of it. Um, 
so waiting too long for that, if I had, if I had maybe looked forward and planned backwards and said, okay, my practice is probably going to be doing this much dentistry or will be this busy this year. Well, you know, gosh, we, we've got to get that second front desk team member in place before things get so crazy that we're scrambling. And that's what, that's what inevitably happened. Like you said, it's a fine line. It's be, it's a line between, oh my gosh, we're scrambling. We need some money now. And it's also the other aspect of, well, now we've got a lot of fluff in our payroll. And, uh-huh. you know, really, if you don't, just like the market, if you don't time it perfectly, it's all right. Like, right. that is not usually a make or break. If you hire someone a couple months early or a couple months late, but you need to keep your eyes open. You know, the head needs to be on a swivel of how's everything running? Where are we lacking capacity? Where are we maybe overstaffed? Who maybe needs to make the hard decision? This needs to be cut. So I think key is keep your eyes open, continue to evaluate. Um, but also rarely does anyone buy at the exact lowest point of a stock and sell at the exact highest. But right. if you can get within 10, 20% of that, you're probably still making money. And we as dentists, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're detail oriented. We're going to obsess over every little thing, right? We're going to obsess over. And that's just kind of how we are. But like you said, it's, it's like one of the things I saw recently is we just hired a third assistant. I only had two and now I have three. And I found that I was looking at dentistry that could be done the same day. And I wasn't getting it done because we just didn't have the ability to get that ball rolling with only two assistants. And that was very much a feel thing. There's no metric for that. Um, It was just being in tune with my practice and saying, okay, now it's time. And being forward thinking is important because as we all know, in this hiring climate too, I mean, you don't just post an ad and find somebody in a day. (laughs) I mean, it's, it takes months nowadays to find a good, good fit sometimes. Right. So being forward thinking is, is super important when it comes to hiring too. always be hiring, always have ads up. If you're planning on growing, it's, it's, it's important to always be hiring. Be preemptive. Yeah. I have people, clients now they're like, Oh, I'm thinking maybe April, May, June, I may be looking well. All right. Turn of this calendar year. We need to get ads up now. If you yep. find someone great, even if you don't need them till April or May, hire them in March because it's very possible. You may not find someone till July. So you've got to be thinking ahead and because if you're, you're not someone else will be absolutely kind of switching directions again as we near the end here i think some docs think we as in tlp may be against having associates which couldn't be further from the truth i think there are docs who need an associate that don't have one and there are some that have one that don't need them when i started tlp my main point regarding associates was just that it's not always the answer. You know, it's possible to work three days a week, take time off, serve patients well, and make a lot of money without having an associate if things are done right. That doesn't mean I think it's the only way. I know you're looking for an associate right now, which I think is great. Did you wrestle with that decision or how did you make that decision? What factors played into it? Yeah, it was a decision I wrestled with for a long time. And you know, like we talked about before we started recording today, I found someone basically on a handshake here that's probably going to start in the middle of the summer in July. So the the process or the decision-making process there was just kind of 
you know, understanding that the business was growing, evaluating the direction it was headed and determining how much I wanted to work, you know, what speed I wanted to work, et cetera. Um, there are a couple key things. One was, um, finding time for surgeries, finding time for implants and being able to dedicate a little bit more to that just as a clinician, that's a direction I'd like to go a little more, um, and maybe cut back a bit on the, the day-to-day bread and butter dentistry. Um, because like I said, it's super rewarding. I mean, I, I gave my dad a mouthful of implants and overdentures and it's the most challenging thing and the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. I mean, I could quit today and be happy with just taking care of my dad (laughs) and you do that for a lot of people. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, there's something about it compared to doing a molar root canal that just gets me going. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's great. So I, I, I think at some point I'd like to kind of focus on that a little bit more. Another thing was, I just feel like in my practice, having doing surgeries, you know, working at the pace that I'm working at is just starting to feel like a little too much and everybody can handle things differently. Right. Like I know you've all, you always talked about, Oh, you never took a lunch. Right. Right. Not often. Not often. I mean, I sometimes will work through lunch, but I, really like to have a little time to recharge. I really like to have a little more energy at the end of the day to work on my golf game or do this or do that, or, or, you know, spend more time with my wife. And so I was finding that starting to feel a little bit of burnout working at the speed I was working. And, you know, that was a big, a lifestyle choice, right? That factored into looking for someone and there's different ways to do it, right? We could, we could have cut back on insurances and cut back on my days and just said, Hey, we're not going to grow it at, at, you know, a a fast pace. We're going to do things a little differently. Um, but as far as having a little more freedom outside of the office, you know, like you talked about golf at the beginning, you know, um, sometimes you, you like in, in my experience, like I played in the U S amateur this year and qualified two weeks before, and then had to take a week out of the office to go do that, you know, really an opportunity of a lifetime. And, and that two weeks looking back was one of the most stressful two weeks of my life. <laughs> and, you know, my goal is to pursue other things outside the office. So it's like to be able to have that opportunity and have that time, it just felt like the right thing to do is to have another ambassador for our practice who I could rely on um, to take care of patients. So I know that was a little long winded, but it boils down to being a lifestyle thing, right? right. It's just what, what's going to work for you. And figuring out, um, like you said, figuring out what works best for you. And, you know, you don't always, I know from you in the beginning, you kind of had the idea that eventually you would have other docs working in that practice. Mm-hmm. Not everyone does. Um, and I think being willing to, call audibles like yes here's my here's my goals here's my plans but let's be honest very rarely does you know if i plan 10 years if i would have planned 10 years ago from where i'm at now i had an idea but things change and i had to adapt sure. with it and say okay you know i didn't expect this or it could be good things like you you know the growth is a good thing how are we going to deal with it well Maybe you don't have all the answers, but you still know the direction you want to be going. So, and my other point is when you're doing things well, you're doing things right, 
and your numbers are where you want them, where they need to be, you have more decisions. You know, it, absolutely. At one hundred forty-six thousand a month on three, three and a half days, you have more decisions than the doctor who's producing seventy thousand on five days a week. So that's kind of our one of our principles is let's grow and get the best we can um, and then evaluate and then decide, okay, do you want to cut back on hours? You just, do you like the more money, but you're still willing to work five days? Um, you want to get to that point where you have the options because that's the spice of life. In my opinion, um, not being able to call the shots, not thinking, well, crap, I can't take off to go to the, world amateurs because if I do, I can't make payroll. Right. Um, now that's a sucky position to be in. Uh-huh. That's why you do good, you grow, and then you enjoy the spoils. But it's not like that on day one. And I and that's where I just, you know, truly, truly i I feel blessed to be making those types of decisions, right? And I know that some people listening to this might be in that situation or they might be where you, know, you and I were three, three years ago getting started on, on, you know, this growth um, trajectory. But it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. It comes back to your goals in that once you've got a practice that, you know, is, is you're taking care of patients in a great way. You're taking care of your team members. You know, you're taking care of yourself truthfully you know, it's like, what do you need? You know, define what you need. Do you want to be the six day a week practitioner making a gazillion dollars a year? I mean, if that's your goal, great. Um, you know, if your goal is to do the things we just talked about, but also you know, have a ton of time for family, a ton of time for hobbies or, you know, athletic pursuits or whatever it is, like, great, define it and then work backwards to make it happen. And that's kind of where we, you know, like as a family, my wife and I, like that's where we're at. We're just like, you know, we don't need to, we, we want to make a great living. We want to live well. We want to take care of the team members at the practice. Um, but we don't need to continue to just <laughs> grow and grow and grow and grow. And that's where, that's where an associate comes in. It's like, well, let's, let's find somebody to carry on the mission of the practice, be able to cut back just a little bit to have more time for the, the things in life that we want to enjoy. Um, while making sure everyone's taken care of. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, Sure. We don't have to, I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but usually the answer isn't let's just grow, grow and grow, grow. However, more times than not in the beginning, especially at least where I start to work with clients, we have to grow to get to that point. Or if not, we don't get to call the shots. You know, it's, we've got to do what we've got to do to make ends meet period or just do okay. Um, but we want to get to the point where we're doing much more than just, okay, we're excelling, we're, we're dominating our area. And then, then the world becomes your oyster, especially in our profession. So um, let's wrap it up here. What thoughts or advice would you give to other docs out there? If you could go back and talk to the, the mat, getting ready to open the doors, knowing what you know now, what would you tell them? Then from your experience, if you, if you had to narrow it down, what are some of the most important factors that have helped make make you successful? 
That's a great question. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't pretend to be, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the perfect practice owner, but, um, I think it's, it's true that you're never going to be truly ready to, if you, if you don't own a practice yet, you're never going to be truly ready to buy one or start one. So there's just so many things to learn on the fly. I think owning a practice is, is, is such a challenge, but it's so rewarding. So I think that's one of the first things is that, you know, if, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're not a practice owner, you get after it because it's just, it's just, it's great. It's a great way to accomplish your goals in life and also be fulfilled as a dentist. You know, I think one of the most important things to success, whether it's in, in life or dentistry or golf or whatever it is, is, is that, you know, success is a lagging measure of your habits. So you can be putting in the work, putting in the work, putting in the work and not seeing results. But if you're putting in the work and you're critically evaluating yourself and, and, you know, evaluating what you're doing on a regular basis, you will see results. You will see success. And I think, you know, working with you, Justin, I mean, it was, and just having another person to talk to and bounce things off of, you know, I had a, felt like I had a great foundation in the startup, but, you know, having someone like you to work with was the best. I mean, working with you is one of the best decisions I ever made. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that just because we're on a podcast together talking about TLP. That's just, I truly mean that. And it set, set us on a trajectory of success that I would have not reached had I not been working with you. So I think, I think that was super, super important. Um, I think start, you know, we could, we could have, heck, we could fill another podcast talking about startups versus acquisitions too. Um, that would be a great thing to discuss. Cause I know there's a ton of potential in startups. Um, and I bet, People could say the other, you know, go the other way and uh, for acquisitions. But once again, that's another thing that, you know, we could chat about uh, quite a bit too, I think. Well, I appreciate it. Um, appreciate the kind words, um, you know, and I never try to take credit for my client's success. I mean, I, I get it. I've been on both sides. I know that take you have some credit, my man. <laughs> take a little bit of credit. Yeah. I know. I know what it takes. And I know the work that goes into what you've done. I think your leadership from day one has has been tough. You're very even keel. You know, you're able to step back, assess, and then calmly go ad- uh, address most issues with your team, which I think is a, a great leadership quality. And I'm sure people can kind of feel that uh, even through the podcast today. But appreciate you being on. Um, hopefully, we get to have you on again. In the future, a lot of lot of wealth of information. I know we went longer than we normally do today, but hopefully you're, as a listener, you're picking up pearls here and there, picking up the principles, and then applying it to your own life and your own practice. So if anyone's interested in discussing things further, you can reach out to us. You can reach us at Justin, Derek, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. You know, definitely love to chat with you, see where you're at. Uh, you can go to to thelifestylepractice.com, and that's it. So, Matt, thanks again for, for being on today. Absolutely, Justin. And if you want to um, put my email in the show notes, too, I love being able to help. I know you guys help quite a few, quite a few dentists more than I do. Um, 
but I'd, I'd be happy to put my email in there. And if anybody has any questions about what we're doing or our experience together, or just, you know, the things we talked about, I'd love to help. So cool. thanks for having me, my man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. So, all right, everyone till next week, we'll talk to you later. Peace. Break a sweat, cause I live my life like it's all I got.